So just as I was meditating um, just now, just those few moments, the, the word that came up most strongly in my, kind of just popped up in my mind and felt very, very um, precise to, to the feeling was bittersweet. Bittersweet. And it was interesting that it came up um, because of what I want to speak about. But just to let the word resonate. I think there's quite a few lovers of, of uh, dark chocolate here. So that's a good, a good analogy. I don't have any more chocolate left. I'll, I'll say that straight away. It's all gone. But that sense of the bittersweet, which is really present. So in his last talk, Nathan was, um, he mentioned um, the devastation that was around us um, as a result of the floods and the landslides. And afterwards, um, I think he, he said in conversation with a couple of people, you know, they hadn't noticed the devastation. They'd only seen the beauty of the landscape, hadn't seen it as devastation. They'd only seen, they'd seen the beauty. And he only said that to me today. Um, yesterday, as, as I was walking alone, um, I was really aware of, of the presence of both, uh, which is something that I've often been struck by in this environment here, and particularly in the valley. The presence of the devastation, seeing the landslides, seeing you know, the places where the, the rivers carved, the floods have carved kind of a new landscape. And also seeing the beauty, yeah, both in that and in the aliveness that's coming through within the devastation. You know, even in the even in the riverbed, there's life sprouting. There's life sprouting. And so, this is something that here we've had an opportunity to really um, see externally. You know, we see it inside, and we can also look at what that does to us internally? How do I let it in? How do I open to it? How do I allow what it brings up? What it brings up in me. And that, that same thing is mirrored in our inner life, like Caroline's mirror today. It's mirrored also in our inner life, also in our inner life, both what comes up from within and the circumstances of our lives, as people have even experienced in the last two weeks here together, there's devastation. You know, there's moments of challenge, of grief, of difficulty, of challenge, of overwhelm. And there's also, of course, the beauty and the aliveness and the joy. So how do we hold the two? kind of a big question that I feel like we really touched on. You know, I'm just going to put some words to it, but I actually feel like you all know this question and you also all know how to do this. Yeah, to hold the two, to hold the two. <clears throat> to make space for, for both, for the seeming duality, which isn't a duality. To make space for both not ignoring or avoiding or shutting down in the face of that which seems difficult 
too much. And also um, not kind of missing out or not seeing the beauty and the aliveness, you know, because these are the two things that we sometimes do. Does that make sense to people? Maybe we can focus on one or focus on the other. And so there's many, um, you know, was, this, this has been really, kind of, I said it came up yesterday as I was walking, it's been rich to explore because it feels like in many ways the last few days of the Yatra, um, again, really bring that up, really bring that up in different ways. <coughs> One is um, that we're all tired, <laughs> you know, we're all tired. And then what does that do when I'm tired? You know, again, Nath didn't have a, a chance to ask him if I could say this or not, but he said, he said to, to, to me today, you know, like, when, when, when one person is tired, then a lot of things, you can get away with a lot of things, yeah, if one person in, di- in a dynamic is tired. If both people in the dynamic are tired, <laughs> then we get a really strong mirror of actually what isn't appropriate, or what isn't acceptable for the other person or at all. You know, so that kind of like, okay, so there's tiredness, and how does that affect us? The tiredness itself can be a form of devastation, mm-hmm. yeah, or create devastation. And then, okay, but within, even within that, so I've said something to somebody, and I'm tired, and I've said something in a way that, you know, I, I wouldn't if I wasn't tired. The other person is tired, so they re- respond. And so that can be a moment of devastation, of disharmony, or it can be a moment also of beauty, when actually, if there's enough space, even within that, I can see, okay, that actually wasn't an appropriate thing to say, and it's not appropriate even if the other person isn't tired and isn't going to react. <laughs> yeah? So there's beauty there within that. Does that make sense? It's not a, maybe it's a bit, it's very clear to me, but it might be a little bit, Yeah. So yeah, this constant holding the two, constantly holding the two and seeing what brings up. Some people were kind of sharing or reflecting how difficult it was to walk into Kati yesterday, um, you know, and see all that rubbish there and just what an impact that had. And that, you know, is a form of devastation that for many of us is much more difficult to hold than the devastation that nature creates. And that can then shape everything. So then we are up at the temple and we don't actually see the beauty because that's so overwhelming. And yet, can we feel the impact? Can we feel our sensitivity without becoming kind of blinded to everything else that's there? So I mentioned, I think, yesterday morning that teaching the Buddha used to use about equanimity and he used to say, be like the earth. And, and again, it's so, so powerful here. <laughs> be like the earth. All kinds of things are thrown onto the earth and the earth receives. And the earth receives without preference. And that's kind of that questioning of you know, how do we embody that in a way that isn't disempowering or detached, but actually really sensitive 
really alive, like the earth. Yeah, really sensitive, really alive. How do we kind of hold the big picture and the unknown, the fact that we know so little about right and wrong and good and bad and beautiful and ugly? How do we hold that, staying sensitive, staying alive? So very early on in the Yatra, someone asked me a really important question that I'd like to to bring in today. Very early on, I think maybe it was on the second day. And the question was, why do you do the Yatra? Why do you do the Yatra? And it was very much, why do you do do the Yatra? from a sense of, of compassion, is it actually a compassionate thing to do? You know, because of the impact that it has, you know. Probably around half the people in this group have flown just to, just to do this. That has an impact. <coughs> yeah. We, we use the mules to carry our luggage. They haven't offered, they haven't agreed to do that. It has, it has an impact. So is, you know, why do the Yadra? Is it actually a compassionate thing to do? Is it actually in harmony with non-harming? And it's a really important question. A really important question for us to ask. You know, for us to ask and for us to ask and for us to ask about our lives. And it's an open question. You know, I I can say for myself, it's an open question. There isn't a clear answer. Is there more good than harm? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Is it possible to hold that? To hold that not knowing, to hold the fact that At the moment, I I don't have the capacity to know what the results of this yatra will be in the big picture. I haven't got enough clear seeing to see the long-term effects and to know for sure. To know for sure. I know the intention. Yeah, I know the intention. I know that the intention is, amongst other things, that this kind of question will come up. That this kind of question will resonate in us. Will ge- that question and others will be generated. Real questions about our choices, our lives, the impact that we have on the earth. And that, you know, this kind of questioning will deepen also in us, you know, many of us it's already there, but we'll deepen and we'll widen. So I can feel in myself and I can also really feel it here in this space together now. I can feel the impact. Yeah, we've walked we've all felt the impact of walking through these mountains and these forests and these riverbeds 
all felt, feel the impact on us that we've walked through. And Nathan was saying this a little bit this morning, really important to also open up our awareness that as we've walked through the mountains, as we've walked through the forests, as we've walked along the rivers, the landscape has also walked through us. Nature has also walked through us. That sense of separation. And that there's a real impact here. There's a real impact that is really precious. Really, really precious. So yeah, the trees, the monkeys, the boulders, the clouds, they're all, they've all moved through here. And they're all in here now. We're not the same. We're not the same. We wouldn't be the same whatever we had done for two weeks. <laughs> but, you know, the sense is, we're not the same. There's something more open, more fragile, more vulnerable, and yet much more grounded than there was. And can we actually take time to feel that and to absorb it as deeply as we can. And that's what we've been doing through the whole time and you know, we've really been emphasizing that today and yesterday. But can we still use the time that we have to really take that in? So that this yatra continues to ripple, continues to flow through our <coughs> lives. Yeah? It needs to have an impact on ourselves and on others. So as human beings, as we've felt and seen and experienced, as human beings, we really have the capacity, whether we want to or not, we have an impact. We have an impact on the environment, we have an impact on nature. We have an impact on the creatures that share the earth with us. And we also have an impact on our own experience. We also have an impact on our own experience. And all of that is, it is really important and it's not separate from each other. So I, it might feel like I'm talking about two different things, but it's not different. We have an impact on the world. We have an impact on others, near or far. And we have an impact on our own experience. We have an impact on our own experience. And it's the same if we look at the, at the teachings, Dharma teachings, they're so useful in this way. Because they show us that the same, whatever causes devastation internally for us, also causes devastation externally. And whatever causes devastation externally, causes devastation internally. It's the same forces. And as we learn to understand the mind, to understand these forces of greed, of hatred, of delusion, of separation, as we learn to understand them. They change, that, we change <coughs> deeply. 
from within. And there's so many ways to do that. And then also the way we are in the world is different. And similarly, we can take our care for the world as a nourishment for our practice. Yeah. So remembering to tell someone that we love them. You know, that we, we act on it, it changes something in us. someone shared with me a few days ago a a really strong example of this way that we can affect our experience, our lives. And again, I haven't had time to check with this person, so hopefully it's okay. (laughs) And so they shared that we set off to walk one morning and they were feeling very tired, very, very tired and with very low energy. And when we got to the first break, there was this sense of, oh, you know, how am I going to be able to do this? (laughs) You know, how am I going to be able to do this, to keep walking? And then they remembered something that we had said in one of the talks and applied it. And so expanded the awareness to feel the earth and be the earth. And the experience changed for the rest of that day, which was a long day, (laughs) for the rest of that day, from the feeling of tiredness and how am I going to do this, to feeling of being the earth and simply walking. And that is such a miracle And yet, it's so accessible to us. You know, this is something we can do. We all have the capacity to do that. To notice what is the way I'm looking at experience right now. And to to understand more and more deeply how that way of looking is affecting and participating in the creation of the experience. There's tiredness, And from the way of looking of the tiredness, it becomes, I can't do this. And if I shift, it's like if I get up and move physically (laughs) to a different place, my perspective changes, my experience changes. So this is really important. We're always perceiving life through a certain way of looking, a certain filter that's dominant. And if we start to understand this, to see this and to apply it, we can really change. We can really change experience. So practice, Dharma practice, is, is about this cultivation of ways of looking that reduce suffering and increase happiness. For ourselves, yeah, because we're working with our experience, and then directly for others. It's, a, it's an immediate effect immediate effect and I find this this framing of practice really useful 
know, practice as a way of looking, way of looking. How am I looking right now? How is that shaping experience and how can I change that? And we've been playing with that a lot over the days, with the expanding of awareness, with the cultivation and prioritizing of generosity, gratitude, appreciation. All of these are ways of working with metta practice, of, of changing ways of looking, of increasing our ability to shift the ways of looking that we use. And in that context, it can be really helpful to see freedom, to see awakening as a process, as a process, cultivating ways of looking that reduce suffering. It's a process, and that's, it's an ongoing process. It gets more and more refined, more and more subtle, and we get better and better at it. Yeah. But it's an ongoing, it's, it's, yeah, more and more depth, more and more possibility. So a really good friend of mine shared with me a, a, a great example of this recently, and he's... Um, he um, spends a lot of his time um, running programs, running Dharma programs and um, environmental programs. And he, he told me that he recently realized that he used to get um, burnt out to a degree, you know, like he used to need to take steps away from engagement, you know, so say he's running a program and he used to have to have, you know, some time alone in his room every day as a kind of way of recharging and and having some space, which is really understandable. And then he said, as he was practicing, as he was interested in this process, what he noticed was that the thing he needed to get away from, the thing he needed to get away from wasn't other people. It was this sense of friction inside when the self isn't happy or doesn't get what it wants. So to kind of say a little bit more, it's, you know, we're with a group of people and it feels too much and it's like, oh, I need to get away, I need to get away, I need to get away. And not to say that's a bad thing at all. You know, we all need it and it's very supportive. But what he noticed for himself, and he can be interested to look at that for ourselves when we're in situations which are challenging, is that what was really impacting was the sense of friction of, I need to get away, I need to get away. And when he could relax that, expand, give space around that friction, friction being the sense of self building up, then he needed a lot less time (laughs) to recharge, a lot less time to be alone. Really interesting. And and when he said that to to Nathan and me, I think we both thought, oh yeah, oh yeah. Kind of naming a process that we'd already also had, but not seen in, in, like not given, not articulated in that way. So really interesting. 
So as we offer ourselves to, you know, to the process, you know, practice is also a real act of devotion. Yeah, it's devotion to the path. It's devotion to the practice. It's devotion to life. Yeah, so we're constantly offering. You know, we just did a, a form of dana practice, but all of practice is dana practice. All of practice is a form of generosity, because we're really offering our energy, our time. to looking deeply into understanding. And so as we offer ourselves to this cultivation of, you know, how do I work with this? How do I open to this? How do I hold this? How do I look at it in a different way? Our capacity, as we do this, the capacity to hold devastation and beauty grows. This is one of the beautiful, miraculous things. Our capacity grows just through turning up, just through the willingness, just through the love and devotion of the practice. And our inner resources grow. Our inner resources grow. We're able to be there a little bit more before the friction <laughs> comes in, before the friction comes in or takes over. And this means that we become so much more available to ourselves, to others, and to the world. Yeah, we become so much more available. So Nathan mentioned the other day, he mentioned our beloved A.J. Must with his candle in front of the White House during the Vietnam War as one of the guiding lights of, of our lives. And I often think about him, and including now, you know, I get this real sense of, of what he was doing there with that candle. And that what he was doing with that candle, you say, is he's, he was keeping the light of human potential alive. So when he responded to the reporter, he was talking about himself. You know, he was saying, oh, I'm doing this so that my government or my country doesn't change me. But by that integrity, through that integrity, and through that willingness to just keep turning up with his candle night after night, he's keeping that light going for all of us, you know, and for, you know, this we're talking about decades ago, for generations, for as long as people are going to keep remembering what he did. So remembering that about ourselves and our practice and our willingness to open to the difficult, to stand up in whatever way is possible for us, for the beautiful, to stand up for whatever way is possible for us, for nature, for the earth, whatever way is possible for us. And remembering that as we do that, it's our own integrity that we're preserving, and it's also human integrity that we're keeping going. And, and that has so much value. It's, you know, immeasurable. And every act, every act done in that way is a contribution. I teach, every year I teach um, a retreat for activists in Israel 
And one of the things that touches me the most and humbles me the most is people that come and activists from all kinds of areas, human rights and environment and women's rights and education. But often what brings people to these retreats is the awareness that they're beginning to get angry or they're way past beginning, <laughs> but they're angry. And that they're, what they're doing in the world is now being impacted by that energy of anger. And they come on the retreat because there's a deep knowing within them that that's not where they want their actions to come from. A deep knowing. And every time I hear someone like that, I meet someone like that, I'm so humbled by the honesty and the courage and that sense of, again, unknown, you know, like anger is devastating. I know that. And I know that I need to look for another way. I don't know what that way is. I don't know how it's going to unfold. But I know that anger is devastating for myself and others. And I know that I need to look for another way. So all these moments are an opportunity. Yeah? Anger is an opportunity to see to see what it does and to see what else is possible, to see the beauty that is in life. And even if it's not accessible in that moment, to find ways or to look for ways or to walk the ways. And in many ways, this is our ongoing yatra. <laughs> yeah. So on the website... <laughs> It said that the Yatra ends on May 2nd, on one of the info letters it said it ended on, the May, on May 1st. But all of these are fictions. <laughs> yeah. They're all just symbols written on a screen. The Yatra doesn't end, doesn't end, doesn't need to end for any of us. The form will change. The form will change. But that inner devotion to walking the path, whether in a city or in the wilderness, that doesn't need to change. And that's something that we can come back to, just like AJ must with his candle. That willingness to take a step, even if I've you know, been forgetting about it for God knows how long. But now I remember so I can take another step on the yatra of life, on the yatra of my practice, of our practice. And this is going to be really precious for us as we transition. We're already transitioning, and it's going to get more and more um, extreme. Yeah? More and more extreme. So can we take that sense of flow, of walking the path, as conditions change around us and within us. <coughs> I was reflecting today that, you know, thinking about, again, 
the yatra coming to an end and that sense of bittersweet that just came now, I was feeling, you know, I'm sure, I know for myself, and I'm sure this is true for, for all of us, we're all feeling some sense of grief and sadness. And at the same time, we're all feeling, I'm sure, some degree at least of some kind of enthusiasm about something that's coming. And to really acknowledge that, you know, that both are there to different degrees in different people at different times. But they're there, they're coexisting, bittersweet. Some degree of grief and sadness and loss. And some degree of enthusiasm or looking forward to something. Whatever that something is, I'm not going to go into details. (laughs) Whatever that something is. Yeah, maybe I will. Seeing someone we love and we miss. Not being on a schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Not having Nathan at the front of the line. (laughs) 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 We were remembering today, this is a bit of a tangent, but you'll forgive me. Remembering today one of the first kind of walking retreats we did years ago, which was part of what inspired us to start this with um, a teacher, very beloved teacher and friend of ours. I won't say any names. And it was in the desert um, in Israel. He was, uh, he lives in Britain. And um, <laughs> so he lives in Britain. It's a very different climate, but it didn't matter. Uh, we, were, we would go out every day, and we wouldn't know how long we were going to walk for mm-hmm. or where we were going. We would sit down to meditation on you know, hard, stony ground in the sunshine <laughs> with no shade. As an Israeli, it was like, what is he doing? He doesn't know what he's doing. And various other things. And that was the form. That was the form. And I, I remember one of the most inspiring things about it was that he didn't, he didn't seem to be bothered that he was pushing our buttons and that every single person on that retreat was hating his guts for some of the time. That wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't bothered at all, you know, because he was doing it for a reason. He was doing it for a reason, and that was the form. So, you know, Nathan's, of course... Not at all like that. And he hasn't pushed any of our buttons, and neither have I. Um, if we have, if we have, we, we ask for your forgiveness. And uh, it's not because we're doing it for your own good, it's because we're imperfect human beings. So please accept our apologies. So that I'll go back to the mix of grief and excitement or enthusiasm about something that's coming. And that's another form, we can say, of the devastation and beauty, just in the, in the way of the pull. And grief is beautiful. Yeah, so can we see that? And grief is beautiful. And so is enthusiasm. Yeah. And equally, they both have that seed of devastation in them. Can we see that? Can we hold that? complexity.
so over, you know, feeling that now for ourselves and, and over the next days, it can, might take us weeks to really prioritize sensitivity, gentleness, expansiveness for ourselves as we, as we carry on, as we walk on. Can we include the changing conditions in the yatra and in the field of our practice? Can we include that? Can we notice the friction that builds up around things that we like and we don't like, things that trigger us, things that don't trigger us? Can we just notice that friction and say, ah, friction, (laughs) hello sense of self. (laughs) How can I relax? How can I make more space here? So really acknowledging sensitivity, acknowledging our sensitivity. And and I I think we're all pretty clear that we're very sensitive right now. (laughs) And that's going to be more apparent even. So to really acknowledge, to keep coming back to acknowledging that precious sensitivity. It's like we've been stripped off layers and layers and layers. So to acknowledge that to take care of ourselves, to go as slow as we can to look after ourselves and to look after each other <laughs> Yeah, for as long as we're together. For as long as we're together. And to remember that nature is in us. <laughs> yeah, It's in us. So to come back to that internally and to also come back to that externally as a support. And it's always available, you know, the sky, even a little bit of it, is always there for us to look at. A bit of earth is always there. Trees, go and find them. (laughs) Yeah, don't be afraid of looking weird. Practice your standing around meditation next to a tree, you won't look too weird. Just, yeah, remembering that nature is here. Other creatures, including humans. Also nature. And really resting into nature inside and out. Into our intention for non-harming, for generosity, and for kindness. That's the ground that really holds us in any situation, in any circumstance. So there's a beautiful poem by, I think, David White, which I don't remember and I haven't got with me. (laughs) But... I remember one thing he says about the forest. And he says something about the forest, you know, that we don't need to go looking for it, but we just need to let it find us. So just staying open, staying receptive, letting the forest find us wherever we are. So let's have a quiet moment to close. <laughs>